Brothers and sisters, it's so good to worship with you on the Lord's Day and the day we celebrate Christmas. It's important because not only does the Lord ask us to honor this day and set it apart in the midst of all of our work and our rest and our celebration, but to celebrate the proper things. Christmas is the holiday the church established long ago to minister to God's people and to minister to a broken world. And I don't think we think of that with Christmas. I think we just get, we get, we get caught up in all the little things, the, the common grace realities of Christmas that are good and beautiful and fun, but we miss that we actually need Christmas and the world needs it. There's a website, it's been around for a couple decades, called The Christian Post. And it gave several reasons why we need Christmas. And I was very disappointed when I read what this Christian online publication said. It gave five reasons, and and all of them had to do with things that I'm not even convinced a non-Christian would have a problem with. One of them was, because Christmas reminds us we need each other. And they gave examples of making Christmas cookies with the kids or watching Christmas movies together. All good things. But I think Christmas is more than that. Or here is one, probably my least favorite. Christmas is an excuse to wear bright and sparkly things. Well, so be it, but feel free to wear it next week too. There's no stopping that. To fill this world with color was the argument that the Christian Post gave. Again, not necessarily bad, But that's why we need Christmas? And the third uh, reason they give, reasons why we need Christmas, is because Christmas is an excuse to be in a good mood. Again, all of those are fine. But I'm not sure that aligns at all with why we need Christmas. Christmas goes way beyond cookies and Santa and eggnog because it's about Jesus. Try to imagine Jesus teaching on those things. Try to imagine him in the first century in a broken and fallen world, maybe just months before he goes to the cross, encouraging his disciples to be in a good mood or to wear sparkly togas. (laughs) Or encouraging them, forget the praying, let's go make Christmas cookies. It would be odd and strange. It sounds more of the things of this world than the things the world most sorely needs. So when we think about Christmas, there's a text that may not have been the most popular in the church's history, or one that most of us will recognize, because it's a promise text. The one that Casey and Edith read for us this morning is from Isaiah 61. It's a promise. Interestingly, in Jesus' ministry, early at the start, when when he was trying to explain why he came, he read this text. Luke chapter 4 records it. That he asked for this text to be brought up in the form of a scroll. This is before the Bible as we have it now in book form. It was individual scrolls with each book its own scroll. And he asked for the prophet Isaiah to be brought forward. And he stood up and he read the words that Casey just read. And he explains that this passage announces 
Him. Here's what he says. After reading Isaiah 61, 1-3, Luke 4, verses 20 and 21, say this, And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of those in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He said this was about him. He was the fulfillment of this robust text promised all the way back in Isaiah 61. Look at that text with me. It's in your notes, or maybe you're looking at it in your Bible. Look at Isaiah 61. Imagine Jesus reading this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. I'm just going to stop right there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. Jesus could speak this in the first person. That verse gives us a glimpse into the Trinitarian God. The divine counsel going back before creation when God knew that one day He would redeem his broken, fallen creation through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it describes no less than the mission of the Son of God coming into the world with that last phrase, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. We get our summary of the Bible message, the, word, the Greek word gospel literally means good news. That's not just a New Testament word, that's an Old Testament word. That's about what God had always intended to do from the beginning. To send His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to bring good news. Again, this isn't an excuse to be in a good mood. This is the reason. It's good news. We think of good news as personal salvation. That's probably what we often do. And that's not wrong. It's true about me becoming a child of God adopted through Christ and becoming a Christian, that is good and true. But in the Bible, it is always involving the whole world, as the rest of Isaiah 61 will show. It is the triumph of God over evil forces of the world and the deliverance of God's people. And the rest of this text speaks to several aspects of our broken and hurting world that the first coming of Christ offers. You see it in the text, the phrase, to the poor, or to bind up the brokenhearted, or to proclaim liberty, or to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to grant those who mourn, to give them headdress instead of ashes. You see, every time you see that word to, it's a new work that Christ has promised to do that he began, as he himself said in Luke 4. Look at the details with me. The the end of middle, middle of verse 1. Jesus was anointed to bring good news to the poor. That's not referring merely just to financial problems. That's describing suffering. Does our world have suffering? Imagine walking into a hospital, cancer ward. And simply saying, I'm only here to wear sparkly things in front of you. 
Or I'm giving you an excuse to be in a good mood. How far would that fly? How deep would that go? Rather than walking in saying, I am here to meet you in your suffering. He has sent me, end of verse 1, to bind up the brokenhearted, those who are wounded, those who are weeping, the brokenness tasted in our world. Because we could all come in and put on a tie or wear something green and red, but in reality, even in this very room, there is brokenness, there is suffering, there are people who are aching. The world needs Christmas. Not because of cookies. Not just because of sparkly things. Because the world is broken and wounded. To proclaim, the text goes on, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. This is speaking to the enslaved. And it's been used to understand not just slavery in a physical sense, which is real and true in our world, but even the most deep slavery, slavery to sin and slavery to death, which Christ alone can break. Maybe that's why, as Vera mentioned to us, she loves Easter so much because it's a declaration of liberty. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been crushed. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. Notice one of those is positive, and one of those is negative. That's a the the beginning. The positive is Jesus came to bring justice, true justice. But he also came to fight injustice. And the end of verse two: to comfort all who mourn. This is speaking about death. If you're with us this last few weeks, we've talked about how we live in a death-free culture, not just gluten-free or fat-free or calorie-free. We live in a death-free culture where we all want, we want to have an excuse to be in a good mood, watch Christmas movies, and wear bright and sparkly things. And Jesus walks right into your living room or your hospital room or your funeral home and says, I have been anointed to bring you good news. And even verse 3 describes this glorious transformation that Christ will bring. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, God's people he's speaking to, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Ashes was the symbol of mourning that you would put on your head. And it's describing somebody dressed for a wedding. You know that moment right before wedding? As a pastor, I get to have several of those standing sometimes right out in that hallway with these really nervous groomsmen and especially the groom. And they're all dressed up and they're even kind of impressed with themselves as they look over their clothes. Or to see a beautiful bridesmaid or bride standing in the back back there waiting to walk down to meet her groom here at the altar. And how beautiful and excited everyone feels in that dress of celebration. That's what this text is describing. Not the ashes of mourning, but that beautiful moment when everybody is in their dress, best dress for a celebratory moment. 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they, God's people, may be called oaks of righteousness or justice or true shalom, true peace inside and outside in our world. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I love how the text ends. It doesn't end with you and me, by the way. It doesn't end with just us having true shalom, true peace, all is good, celebratory dress. We're all in our suits and our dresses. We're all dressed beautifully to celebrate all these good gifts. Where does the text end? So that we may give him the glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All of this is what Christmas celebrates. That's why Jesus read it to the church early on in his ministry, so you wouldn't get confused. Now, none of this means Christmas cookies are bad. I received a package myself today. Didn't turn them away. Nothing says that wearing bright and sparkly things is inappropriate or that we shouldn't enjoy all the Christmas festivities and greet people with Christmas greetings. Of course you should. Rather, it means that we actually need Christmas for the deeper reasons of life. We need Christmas because our world is filled with suffering and brokenness. People are hurting, that countries are at war, that funerals are happening this very week in our church body, or surgeries are taking place, or people are being told difficult news, relationships are crumbling. We need Christmas because our world is filled with suffering and brokenness. We need Christmas because our lives are wounded and filled with mourning. Christmas was designed to remind you of the deeper truths that whatever situation you are in, Christ has come. And you almost have to work hard at that in our modern contemporary American Christmas to get through all the beautiful, fun, sparkly things to grab onto Jesus on Christmas Day. And if life pulls everything else away, and the sparkles don't shine in your eyes, or the cookies have no taste, it will only be Jesus that you can grab. Christmas reminds us every year. It, it passes down that tradition to our children and our grandchildren of what is most true, and what is the story that we are part of, and what do we need the most. And all the other things are dressings, and they're good, and they're fun. But what we need is Jesus. We need Christmas finally because our souls are enslaved to sin and death. That's the gospel story. That's that good news of verse 1. Christmas is reminding us that we need Jesus. So I'm sure I'll need the, the new gloves I got this year. Thanks, honey. Or I'm whatever my kids have been working on in our basement and probably ruining numerous tools. Sure, I'll need those. And I won't mind the Christmas supper that we'll have this afternoon. I'm, I'm sure I'll need that. 
But in my life right now, what I need this Christmas morning is Jesus. And if Jesus is accurate in what he said was about him, then what the world needs right now, this very morning, is Jesus. And what this country needs right now is Jesus. What your family needs right now, your children and grandchildren, your marriage, is Jesus. So enjoy the cookies. Enjoy the supper and all the sparkly things and the movies and the laughter and the little children. Enjoy all those things. Those are part of God's common grace gifts. But you need Jesus. And Christmas reminds us of that. For the Christian, Christmas does not deny suffering and death as our culture does. It doesn't, our culture tries to medicate those things. Christmas is the day when the broken and the suffering and the enslaved and the mourning are told that the end of their plight is in sight. And their redemption is promised and guaranteed by Jesus Christ. There's a song written just a few hundred years ago by a guy named Isaac Watts named Joy to the World. We were going to sing it first this morning, but I twisted Greg's arm and said, let's do it last. It was literally written 200 and, sorry, 303 years ago. He got in a little trouble for this song. This is the most famous. He got in trouble for a lot of his songs because when in his day, people would, Christians would only sing the Psalms, only the Bible. And he just felt it lacked a little bit of emotion at times, just the kind of the plain singing of these scripture words. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the Psalms and I'm going to write some lyrics that have a little pathos, a little excitement, a little emotion that try to connect it to this world and the world to come. And joy to the world that comes from one of those psalms. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. All creation knows what is most important. And let the church know as well. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Here's this befitting this concern that Jesus said about no more mourning. It's interesting that Isaiah 61 spends a lot of time dealing with the brokenhearted and the, and the mourning. And so does Isaac Watts in Joy to the World. No, no more let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. It's the reversal of the curse of Eden. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It's the reversal, the redemption of Genesis 3. Then maybe my favorite, the last stanza, he rules the world with truth and grace. Those two words found elsewhere in the Bible 
just describe the beauty of what Isaiah 61 announced. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. Like he will show this in every land and every country and every person when he returns and renews all things. The glories of his righteousness, there's that justice language, and wonders of his love. And the song ends with this repetition, and the wonders of his love, and the wonders of his love. Now you may be wearing bright, sparkly things when you sing this song. And you may have already had some cookies or going home to more. And there might be lots of good fellowship time that I hope each of us has today. But when you sing these words, you're understanding why we need Christmas. Because the Christ who entered the world 2,000 years ago has promised to come again. And when he comes again, he will destroy and heal all suffering. He will repair every wound. He will wipe away every tear from brokenness. He will release those enslaved to all the things this world enslaves, including sin and death. He will bring justice to those who are in need of it, and he will destroy injustice. And death will be no more. And that's what Isaac Watts, 303 years ago, thought the church should say. And it happens to be that that song took off. Sung more at Christmas than other times of the year. But to be honest, it's not just a Christmas song. It's really not even talking about the first coming. It's talking about the second. That's why we need Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel, the good news that you came to bring. Thank you for the ministry of the cross. Thank you that you announced long ago what our world would need. You came and brought it forth through Jesus Christ. Father, help your people, those who fittingly can still be called belonging to Zion, who mourn or suffer or are wounded, who, who, who pray out for justice and fight injustice, and who see the realities of the brokenness in our world, in our country, in our own families, and even in our own lives. We know why we need Jesus and why we need Christmas. And it's Christmas morning, and we're reminded of the reason for Christmas. And it's more than sparkly shirts, Christmas cookies, or even just our own natural fellowship together. It is a gathered church on Christmas morn declaring, come Lord Jesus, redeem all creation. Do your work in and around us, and we will give you the glory that you are due. So we thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world and into this gathering here. And we pray you receive our closing song as a declaration of praise. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.